1: We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty.
0: American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego.
2: Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And more importantly, thank you for understanding what time it is, how important things are right now. It is a big, big deal right now. What's happening? I just was finishing a substack, a, a more, uh, a lengthier, not more lengthy, more lengthy, lengthier uh, post over at, uh, excuse me, ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. I will send that out. It's on Substack. stack. Uh, I'll send that out in the next couple of hours. But I, I, it is on the same topic we're about to talk about. I'm all fired up about it. And that is the border. The border is no longer. It's not even remotely anymore about the uh, preferences on immigration, uh, jobs, anything like that. It's 100% about national security. It's time to stand up and step up. It's a big, big deal, and we'll talk about it in a moment. Uh, now, please go to ProAmericaReport.com, sign up there for the uh, Substack emails, but as importantly, cruise on over to the uh, com. get signed up for our daily email, The Wink. What you need to know comes out every morning at 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time, everywhere in between. Uh, upwards of 40,000 50,000 people, I can't remember who, depending on which list we send, they get that every morning. We never trade your email address. We never sell it. We never rent it to a good candidate. Nothing. We keep it to inform you. What is the wink? The email gives you a couple of key links, a couple of key stories, a couple of key ideas, and then one, one priority, sometimes two, one priority at the wink, what you need to know. Today's wink is this simple, clean Our border crisis, southern as well as northern, our insanity by the Biden administration is a national security crisis. It is about self-defense. If if you are a moral person, if you are an ethical person, let me say it differently. If you spend time or training reflecting on uh, ethics and morality, you will sometimes get into these conversations about just war theory, justifiable uh, self-defense. You know, uh, even in the context of criminal, you'll have people say things like, um, you know, not guilty by reason of insanity. All these kinds of ways that sort of change how your moral culpability is, because if you kill someone in cold blood, you're a murderer. And homicide is an ethical as well as a, a legal crime, a, a crime against the law of the land and also a crime against the human beings. But the question becomes, when is self-defense allowable? Right. If someone is coming into your home and you have every reason to believe that they're going to kill you, can you kill them first? Of course course now we're talking morally i'm not giving legal advice i'm not saying in your state you may have different laws on uh, on so-called castle doctrine that's when someone comes and invades your home or even stand your ground uh which is a legal preference for you not having to yield to someone but let's say this at this point You don't have to be an expert in geopolitics. You don't have to be an expert in uh, any kind of of world economies, uh, world uh, political ideologies to know this coming across our southern border and northern border are people in, in numbers that is completely uncontrollable. And the lie of it is that the Biden administration has said we will accept everyone that comes as long as they know the trick language, the secret code word open sesame. If you say open sesame, you can get in. If you say I'm a refugee, you can get in and the law will protect you if you have the magic words and the magic words, by the way, are potent words. They're strong words. There's things like I'm a refuge. I'm a refugee because I'm coming from a place where I fear for my life, my safety, my family. But they're teaching these people to say it so that they can stay, say it and stay, say it and stay. And that's what they're doing. And, and there's, by the way, there's lots and lots of people that should be held accountable. you are guilty of subverting the law and the, and what the law is supposed to do. There is supposed to be a law again, morally. If, if I run, to, if, if you are in danger and you're running for your life and you show up at my house and you say, I have to get away there. I'm running for my life. I have a moral obligation to let you in. But if you're lying about it, I I don't have a moral obligation. And if I'm told that you're lying about it, if I can see it, I'm not even asking, are you really in danger? I'm just accepting it, which is what the Biden administration does. It, It falls apart. And we are in danger of losing our nation because we've decided to lie about the law and let other people lie. And we are being invaded now again, take a book like Overrun by Todd Benzman, our friend Todd Benzman Bombardier Press, Overrun How Joe Biden Unleashed the greatest border crisis in the in u s history. It's really good on what Biden did, but it's his predecessor book. That is more important. Todd Benzman has been on this program. He's been on my program and the podcast we've created must be 50 standalone links of his pieces where he's talking about these issues. His first book from a couple of years ago now is called America's Covert Border War. And when you look closely at that, it's the untold story of the nation's battle to prevent jihadist infiltration. At that time, he was talking about jihadist infiltration at the border. But now, if you listen, he's just saying it's not just jihadist. It's just anyone come military. majority of these people are not a family of five with a a Our Lady of Guadalupe icon coming in to to create a new life. That's not what's happening. What's happening is military age men are being told all over the world, come to America, get a foothold, come to America, get in the country. And whether there is a threat, excuse me, whether there is an actionable threat, whether we know that something bad will happen a month from now, 10 months from now, a year from now, five years from now, doesn't matter. When you have a border, you have to make judgments and the judgment has to be, wait a second for our self-defense, the system is breaking down. And when governor, a governor of Texas Abbott says, Holy cow, I'm worried about my people. I know that Joe Biden's got to worry about America and the border is, 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 is a federal priority. But it's a federal priority, meaning the feds get a first crack at it, not they can let the place be overrun. Self-defense of Texans is at least coming right up against the federal uh, uh, question of open borders. And and Greg Abbott is saying, I'm not going to risk it. I'm not going to risk it for my people. And and so we have, more important than anything we've talked about on this issue, this is not about assimilation. It's not about the size and scope of the illegal population or the uh, immigration population coming in and flooding our schools and our social services. It's not about the fact that if we don't protect Social Security for the people that paid in, the system will break down. It's not about all those things. It's not even about the question of jobs, where some of our people in our country, mostly big business, would prefer more people for work so that they could have lower pay, pay lower salaries. But they say get better workers, whatever. It's not about any of that. That is a side. It's a when someone is breaking into your home, you're not debating whether the school system didn't teach them well. You're not debating whether we should have done more to promote unity in our community. You're not deba- when someone's breaking in the, your home, when someone is threatening your life, you have a right to, Of self-defense that shifts dramatically. And that's where we are. And what you need to know is more and more people in this country are sick of it. They see it. And your job is to understand what's happening and see it and be sick of it. And to be supportive. And I look looks like up to 14 or 15 states have joined Texas and saying we're, you know, Governor Abbott, we're on your side on this. And saying to each other, hey, 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 we're not going to take this. We're not going to allow the co- because it's again, it's not a preference about jobs or the future. It, it is about a future. It's, it's a preference about whether we have a nation or not, whether we have a nation. And, and you can overlay fentanyl. It's outrageous that we're killing our people. You know, a million, two million a year from fentanyl coming across the border. That is outrageous. That's t- horrendous. It's another aspect of this. It's a reason why, probably a reason why the the, uh, the border is corrupt. It's probably a, a, a reason why um, the the border policy has been corrupt, because there's money and there's influence. But that doesn't matter now. What matters is the reason to stop what's happening at the border is because we are being invaded. And the reason to stop the invasion is about our nation. It's about self-defense. You don't have to go past that. You can say the Biden administration's policies are built on lies and the lies are a threat to our nation. And therefore, we are not willing, not for another moment, not for another year, certainly not for another term to do to allow this to continue. And, And there are two in three in front of you positions Actions, if you want, that you can take. One is support your state in in, in supporting this fight. Support your state. If you're in, in, in Missouri, where I'm from, if you're in uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia, where I live, if you're from uh, uh, Nebraska, California, wherever you are, ask your state to support. In California, probably not going to do it, but there might be people who can. Big state. If there's 40 million people in California, and I forget the exact number right now, there's probably 25 million that are really liberal, but there's probably 10 million that are conservative that's a lot of people it's more people than the entire population of uh, missouri for example so number one stand up for your people number two demand that there be change and not amnesty not a rollover at the federal level in congress and three you got to change the president we got to take a break ed martin that's your wink be right back pro america report back in a moment Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's been a while, a long while. I was looking up in my notes and I was saying, uh, when exactly did we last have Mike McCormick on the program? Mike McCormick is now, I can say, Mike, I think you're a prolific author now. He's got three books under his belt. He is a uh, a lifelong, well, I guess he could have said, a couple of decades worth of being a government employee. He was a White House uh, press office stenographer for almost two decades uh, and has uh, came to my attention when he wrote... Uh, after leaving the service of the government in 2017, a book about having been a stenographer for Joe Biden. I think that's been uh, one of the more interesting aspects of his time, but but also just in general, his work and his perspective. Uh, So welcome back, Mike. How are you?
1: Thanks, Ed. Great to be back with
3: you.
2: Well, it's nice to be back with you and I, I should highlight your uh again your books uh the the newest one. I think the newest one is uh well maybe well I guess yeah uh, the case uh, uh, the case to impeach and imprison Joe Biden uh before that 15 years of deplorable that's the one that I looked at uh first uh, came to my attention. Also Joe Biden unauthorized a uh and the 2020 crack up of the Democrat party. Um so Mike, first, uh, just a pure um human question. You worked for Joe Biden for many years, and more importantly, would have observed him for decades, a couple of decades. When you look at him functioning now, I, I, not 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 being mean, right? I, I, but I'm just being just describing how dramatically is is he impaired.
1: He's half what he used to be ten years ago. Half, really? and you know, I I worked with Doctor Kevin O'Connell, who's his White House physician now, and I'm not sure what Doctor O'Connell is is doing to keep Joe going the way he is. I know Joe is surrounded by a cadre of operatives who firmly believe in what he's doing. And Joe still has a lot of his faculties and can be propped up by his, you know, some people call them handlers. I call them the operatives. Right. But he is seriously demeaned. I mean, he just, he can't move the way he used to. He can't travel the way he used to. You know, in 2016, he did four uh, events in a day to promote a candidacy of somebody in South Carolina who worked for him. He can't right. do that anymore. So how is he going to campaign?
2: Right. Uh, Mike McCormick is our guest. And his newest book was just out a few weeks is The Case to Impeach and Imprison Joe Biden. Um, you can get anywhere you get books. Uh, I'm looking at it on Amazon right now. Um, uh, uh, Mike, um, but pausing for a moment, like to describe to people, you didn't have to like him to know that Joe Biden, he never drank. He does exercise. He's always been lean and he's been a senator forever, which means he's never had to worry about anything. He doesn't have to do heavy lifting. He doesn't have to build a fence. He doesn't have to, you know, and so, so he has had a nice life. I'm not judging him. I'm saying and he would have been someone that people would have said was pretty vital. And he nobody said he was sophisticated, like having deep thoughts. But he was, you know, he was a bright guy. He would speak. He would joke. He had terrible sense of humor in my opinion opinion, but he did have a sense of humor now. It, it, and again, it's not not to be mean. We're talking about an 80 year old man, but it's dramatic. And and I guess my question is to you is, um, is it Jill? When you say operatives, y- y- your spouse, I think, would be more or is it Joe Biden who just this is who he is. He wants to be president. I mean, why doesn't why doesn't Jill say stop?
1: It is Joe. It is Joe. Jill. Jill. And Jill's doing as she's instructed to do. And his staffers are doing as instructed to do. They don't want to disappoint him. He thinks he can win the presidency and he thinks he can be there for another four years. That's what he thinks. He's terribly detached. from Reality always has been. That's why it's a shock to America that he's still our president. He's even became our president. That wasn't a reality 2020 election. It was a very unreal election.
2: Uh, Mike McCormick again is our guest. He's the author of a new book, The Case to Impeach and Imprison Joe Biden, um, available wherever you get books. And he's got two other books out there too that are uh, eyewitness accounts from the inside. All right. Um, another broad question, not to the specifics yet, because in your book, you do go through some of the specifics of, of what you can see, what you know. But broadly speaking, you, you saw him when he was vice president pr- predominantly. Um, and you saw, I, I think the word is, influence peddling whether that's the right word or not but it was for his family i mean in other words it was for his son his brother and all he didn't need to do it for himself until he got out of office but is just your assessment of the moral the ethical boundaries of the guy is there any doubt that he you know in the in in the period of years that he was out of office that he was just milking his his name and 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 for millions and, and tens of millions of dollars
1: well, he was doing it in office. I mean, I've got evidence in the book of there was a trip he took in December 2015 at the behest of Burisma Holdings, who was paying his son to be on their board. And in, in on that trip, he took a video and I highlight this video in my book. And this whole trip was a crime. This was a crime to cover up for his. I I put some evidence in there of how he might have been paid by Burisma. And how Hunter was paid by Burisma. And there's a video that he took of him shaking hands with a guy as he gets off the steps of Air Force Two in Kiev, Ukraine. Right. The guy is the mayor of Kiev. He's also secretly on the board of Burisma. Joe hmm. Biden did that trip to tell the Ukrainians, I'm coming to fire Prosecutor General Shokin. I'm working for Burisma here's the guy I'm meeting here. He's on Burisma's board. The Ukrainians would have known that. And so that's his message. And nobody really understood it. I didn't understand it when I saw it. I was there on the trip. It wasn't until I dug into the Hunter Biden laptop and there's emails in there. There's an email in there from a month before that trip where the Burisma guys tell Hunter, we need deliverables. We need a high-ranking government official, that was Joe Biden, to come to Ukraine and talk to the Ukrainian government that was Poroshenko, who he met with, about stopping the investigations into Burisma and Mykola Zlachevsky. And that's exactly what Joe Biden did. That was a trip where he threatened the Ukrainians with the $1 billion IMF loan guarantee. You're not getting this. If I, you know, you won't get this. I'm on the plane in six hours. And they.
2: Oh, and he and he did and he did and he did that publicly. I mean, the, the point is he didn't hide it. It wasn't like there's a there's a um, uh, 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 Mike because I don't want to lose the time. I run out of time so fast. Again, Mike McCormick's our guest, the case to impeach and imprison Joe Biden uh, by Mike McCormick. Just out a few weeks. Um, you mentioned here the one I did not know about, the Alliance for Prosperity, um, which was uh, uh, drug smugglers. Um, tell us the backstory on that and what what's going on there.
1: Joe Biden uh, went to Honduras. I went with him on trips down there. He started a a partnership with corrupt Honduran government officials who were supported by the cartels. Mm. In 2014, as these um, migrants were coming, uh, minors, young kids were coming to the border. They started something called the Alliance Prosperity. That was Joe's pet project. He sent $500 million from 2014 to 2016 to Honduran government officials who were smuggling cocaine into the United States. He knew it. There were uh, drug enforcement agency investigations that they knew of uh, into these Honduran officials. Mm. So he was aiding and abetting the cartels. And he's basically now sold our southern border to the cartels.
2: Is that is that is that 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 alliance? I never heard that. I mean, you know, I'm not I'm I'm not an expert on uh, the Biden uh, crime family. Maybe I should be. Maybe we all should be. But is it relatively well known? I mean, I know your your perspective is not well known. It's And again, our guest is Mike McCormick. And his book is The Case to Impeach and Imprison Joe Biden. You should get it and read that your perspective as a witness or as a participant or as a attendee to some of this. But is that alliance for prosperity a, a publicly known thing? Is there do you shake your head, Mike, sometimes and say, base. Journalism would uncover this stuff
1: Yeah, and I put that in the book I put in the book who the journalists were They're ignoring it It was a government program run out of the White House Okayed by the Congress They thought they were helping Honduras But Joe knew Democrats knew these Honduran officials Were smuggling drugs in the United States And they hid that Trump came in and uncovered it And those Honduran officials that were smuggling the drugs Are now facing charges Joe has gone and arrested them but before mm. he arrested them, he gave him five hundred million dollars. Where did the money go? No wow. one's ever had an accounting of it.
2: Hmm. Wow. Well, Mike McCormick, uh, there's a number of folks that really have uh, kept the uh, pressure up in terms of describing what's gone on. Uh, This book, The Case to Impeach and Imprison Joe Biden, I think will have a a real value in in the same vein and and getting the word out again available just a few weeks ago. Anywhere you buy books, uh, check it out. Thank you, Mike. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, Mike McCormick, we appreciate you coming on.
1: Thanks, Ed. Great talking. We'll talk soon.
2: Okay, we'll talk very soon. Uh, Mike McCormick, everybody. Fascinating. Now he's got three books in the last couple of years um, that really give you an insider perspective. And uh, if I can say he's he's even gotten kind of gotten his sea legs now with this last book and looking at what he's seen and applying it to what's uh, the law and what's uh, happening in policy. uh, Worth a close look. Mike McCormick was our guest. We got to take a break, though. Be right back. It's Ed Martin. I'll put up on social media links to his stuff. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our friend, Mary Byrne, uh, Dr. Mary Byrne, she was, uh, for many decades, she was an educator. She also, uh, I, I'd say probably her whole career, she was. She cared about policy, but in these last five to 10 years, she's been prolific in writing about uh, uh, education issues, uh, talking about some of the key challenges. Uh, there was a, a period where Common Core, by name, was the thing that we were all uh, worried about, and she was writing about what the background of that was, and she she continues to write uh, and help us over at the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles with our education reporter. She's written over there and she uh, speaks all over the place. And so welcome back, Dr. Mary Byrne. How are you?
4: Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm very well. Thank you.
2: I should say at the Education Reporter, and you can go to phyllislahfley dot com, and you can click through a slash. It's uh you click on the button there. It's easy. It's Education Reporter right there. You'll see uh, in the especially in the issues that are listed there. You can go back and see uh, Mary Byrne's uh, writings, and you can also uh, do a search on our website uh dot com. Again, uh, Mary, but generally, uh, I started. I mentioned Common Core. We seven years ago, eight years ago, we were talking. Oh gosh, Common Core! Look what they're doing. They they moved the guy that invented Common Core to run the SAT, uh, College Board. He's still there, I think. He did get in trouble, by the way. I don't know if you saw that. He got in trouble for I think supposedly they called him a racist, but that's that doesn't say much actually. But Common Core sort of faded, meaning we don't use that term. But the onslaught in education, then COVID happened, the pandemic, which exposed a lot of things. Where are we in this country in terms of understanding the impact? Of some of these education movements and pushing back i know homeschool has gotten big and then and classical schools but i i don't know where are we in this country right now
4: well common core never went away right common core was rejected uh, by the grassroots and the states responded by changing the name (laughs) and and moving around a few phrases but if parents would check their students' laptops and check the software that's being used to instruct them. You'll find that software like iReady and assessment uh, software like Galileo mm-hmm. are are aligned to the Common Core, so you don't have to advertise it. You know, and right. and the problem is that the the statewide assessment that's being used here in Missouri and very likely elsewhere, uh, we had adopted the Smarter Balanced Assessment, and other states adopted uh, what was referred to as PARC. Right. Those were all assessments written from the same item pool. The only difference was the format in administering the tests. So it it was that item pool was funded by the federal government, which meant states didn't have to pay anything to dip into the pool and pull those items. There may be some individualization in states for uh, writing their assessments, but here in Missouri, We have assessments that are called proprietary, which means nobody gets to see them. And our commissioner of education insists that models of the items on these tests are released, but that's not the items. And that's not, teachers used to be able to see the test items and the student responses to these items so that they could gauge you know wh- wh- what are the weaknesses in my instruction that might be costing these? Uh, actually, not the students. The students' uh, grades weren't supposed to be uh, affected by these statewide assessments, uh, but the districts were. Mm. And uh, the bottom line was, with proprietary tests, nobody knows what's going on. But and the state boards of education are responsible for all of this because they approve the contracts. So. Um, my point is common core has just been submerged it's 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 not a priority in the discussion but it did not go away so where yeah. we are now is uh, a huge emphasis on social emotional learning um and and here's the deal nobody really knows what that means
2: right right okay
4: and and it depends on on what sources you're Referencing uh, everybody from the World Economic Forum to the CDC uh, to your state departments of ed and their learning standards are talking about social emotional learning. Nobody's got a clear definition of what it is, but your state comprehensive uh, plans that are sent to the US Department of Ed assure the US Department of Ed that we that that the states actually are embedding right. social emotional learning into
2: Oh, for some reason you just got muted. Hold on. Uh we're talking with Dr. Mary Byrne. It's a excellent um synopsis of this. So I think uh Dr. Byrne, you have to hit unmute. I don't know why that happened to your uh, machine, but if you can hit unmute on your uh on your machine, it's showing that it's on your end. So we'll see if that um uh brings her back. Um but we're talking with Dr. Mary Byrne again at the education report of the Phyllis Slaughter Eagles. There you go. Uh you're back, Mary Byrne, you back there? I I, see, I think you're back, yeah?
4: Oh, okay. What what yeah. part did I drop off
2: on? Well, oh, just the last five seconds or so. No, it was uh, it was fine. We were getting it. Um, I, I want to pause though now because it's a good break and ask you this: if if Common Core didn't go away, it was just submerged. Um, I, you know. Activists and, or uh, educators like you weren't fooled, but are, are we just being ignored by, by our policymakers? I mean, you know, we've had conservatives in states, um, a number of sort of red states where they have control. Are they are in are some of the states standing up to this or are we just watching this sort of uh, problem? I often call this the problem of education reform. It, it kind of is hot until it's not. And then people forget.
4: Well, it's it's actually being run by uh the business roundtable the chambers of commerce mm. uh, it, uh in the missouri state board of education the president is actually a pre- the on the board of directors of the kansas city chamber of commerce oh. and and make no mistake i i mean and you have another one who has been on the board for 30 years he's been president off and on and he is also um representing the business agenda, not the constitutional purpose of education. And and that's been the the drum I've been beating. If we would go back to our state constitutions and the reason in the constitutions that uh, is given for legislators to pick the taxpayers' pockets for education, it is not workforce development. It is to protect the rights and liberties of the people. In other words, the purpose of public schools was to teach students how to govern themselves as individuals and how to engage with government at the community, state and federal levels. So we were to learn how not just civics but the history of the country and how the government was formed and uh, what are the principles of the founding documents what's the history of all of that Uh, but at the same time liberal arts education was the foundation for liberty and so you had to know mathematics so you you would know you know that you weren't being taken advantage of. It's not just right. functional, and, right. and it's not just theoretical. There was a liberty purpose for math, science, English language arts, it, particularly reading. Um, you had to know how to read in order to read the papers, so you could read candidates' positions and, and know what was going on.
2: Right. Uh, Dr. Byrne, Dr. Mary Byrne is our guest. And again, over at the Education Report, you can see her writings and, uh, and I will make sure to post this up on, uh, social media. Um, the, the, uh, is what it, There is a little bit of a problem, and I just got like a minute left. I'm sorry to do this to us, but that people are critical of higher ed right now. They see the holes in higher ed, and that's good. But they're sometimes lurching towards, oh, so let us solve this for you by creating a curriculum, these skills curriculum that's sort of common core based and ends up being more controlling than not. I mean, there is this sort of funny tension right now.
4: Absolutely. That's school to work. It right. was uh it was actually instigated in the first WH uh George Herbert Walker Bush administration, but it right. got real traction with Bill Clinton, who was hanging out with the Fabian Socialists in, yeah, in, right. uh, in Great Britain. Yeah. And he he actually passed a congressional legislation called School to Work, which is a Marxist idea. Hmm. Um it, it totally turns um Uh, liberal arts education on its head. In right. favor of workforce development, right. and put somebody else in charge besides the individual yeah. who's going to engage in it's, government.
2: It's amazing. Uh, thank you. I'm sorry we're out of time. Uh, our, our our guest has been uh, Dr. Mary Byrne again. She writes over at the uh, at the Education Reporter at PhyllisLaffey There's a link there right in the center of the page. Um, very very thoughtful. And we should come back to this. I feel like we're I feel like we're uh, you know and happen with COVID. We have a, a energy to fix things, um, energy to address problems, and then somehow the energy fades. And it, it's a it's a it's a it's something we've got to figure out how to uh, build on. So we got to take a break right now, though. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report back in a moment.
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by honoring family values, opposing radical feminism, and representing a conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin.
2: Last October, the New York Times reported that the schools run by the Department of Defense for about 66,000 children of service members have been doing better than public schools in all 50 states, as measured by the widely followed National Assessment of Educational Progress exam. Most of these schools are on our American military bases. The Department of Defense Education Activity Schools were first in our nation on the reading and math assessments in 2022. These schools were the only state or jurisdiction to show an increase in performance in any grade or subject that year. The U S army has a larger minority population than America as a whole, 46% compared to 40%. The outperformance of secondary schools on military bases compared with other public schools is due to better discipline. A total of 45% of students in these department of defense, secondary schools are in low income families which is higher than the national average of 38%. Moreover, one-third of the children in military families move each year due to transfers from their parents, which is a hardship for the child. The military knows how to discipline its members without permitting bad behavior until expulsion becomes necessary. Corporal punishment, such as swatting a misbehaving student, was allowed nationwide by the U.S. Supreme Court for Public Schools in Ingram v. Wright in 1977, Yet states outside the South ban it. In public schools, 77% of teachers are female today, in sharp contrast with how our military is run. The overwhelming percentage of those public school teachers are liberal and opposed to any physical punishment of any kind for bad conduct. Studies show that physical penalties for misbehavior are not any more harmful than other forms of punishment, such as repeated yelling. Many of the same students who are violent towards other students and teachers also play violent sports like football, which create a far greater risk of injury to them than any physical discipline would.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. America is safe only when America is strong. Our national defense requires the most modern technology and best trained soldiers, and there should be no social politics or idle threats coming out of Washington. At PhyllisSchlafly.com, we take this work very seriously. Please visit PhyllisSchlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
3: Hey, welcome back. Welcome back to the Pro-America Report, here to wrap up the show. This is Ryan Heint, yet again, stepping in to fill in for Mr. Ed Martin, who is out on assignment today. I wanted to leave you with just a final thought here in our wrap-up, our final uh, segment bringing us home. There is an incredibly important uh, concept that I believe we must take to heart. I kind of we're, we're piggybacking off of what I talked about at the beginning of the show, our uh, wink segment, uh, which, like we said there, we dealt with both New Hampshire, the political results, the ramifications of Donald Trump's huge, uh, historic, I mean, that's an accurate to say, historic victory in New Hampshire, huge numbers, uh, huge uh, uh, interference from Democrat voters at, by all appearances coming in to vote for Nikki Haley in the open primaries. Uh, this and the Arizona story, the Republican chairman who has resigned now because of his literal bribery tape, uh, bribery caught on tape, trying to bribe Kerry Lake to get out of the Senate race. This leads me to something that's very interesting. As we look around the field and realize that in 2024 in America... um our set of issues is different than it used to be and I believe this is true of 2020 and 2016 but here's what I'm speaking to. I'm speaking to people who maybe haven't quite gotten there yet, haven't quite understood the field yet. I think there are a lot who do and this term red-pilled keeps getting thrown around. I think, you know, you want to use that phrase or you want to use a little less of a charged phrase fine. There's this important point that I think all of us, especially as conservatives, need to understand that the battle in America is not what it used to be. This old matchup between um, liberal and conservative between big government and small government between, and I mean big government, you know, we still use that phrase talking about the deep state, the the permanent government, but, you know, more spending or less spending, a little bit more government involvement, a little bit less government involvement. We want to have a little bit more liberal social policies, a little bit more conservative policy. These things that you and I are so used to in American politics, these are not the primary battle anymore. The primary battle is against a permanent government, a bureaucratic state that is enabled by its masters at the highest levels to persecute everyday Americans, whether that means through um, inflationary policies that crush our economy, whether it's through hefty taxation or huge spending or uh, mandated items like we, we just did those, this last 15 years with the Affordable Care Act and that whole fight over mandated health care in America, whether it's an actual we will make you or we will figure out an underhanded way to do it, this growing behemoth of the administrative state is our number one fight in america and I even know, and this is where you see people like the walkaway movement and a lot of the gays against groomers, even liberals, people who are liberal on their social issues or on different things, the economic, financial views, different than me. They see this and say, whoa, 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 th- this is bad. These aren't liberal, let everyone talk and love and, and this and that and the other. These people are authoritarians who say, my agenda is me first, and if you don't agree with it, with me in power, I will shut you down. I don't care if you were one of my children chosen blocks, or one of my, you know, the enemies that I've articulated for years, you're out if you're not on board with the agenda. That is the battle. This battle against the authoritarianism, the statism, the supremacy of the state that so many people hold. This is the left, the modern left. Notice we use the distinction between the word liberal and left. liberal, meaning a little bit more, you know, liberal versus conservative on ideas. Leftist being this militant, Marxist, state supremacist. This is the battle that we are facing. This is the battle that almost must be had before we can go back to arguing other policy points that are equally important, maybe of even greater moral clarity or moral conviction. But this is the battle that's in front of us, and we must pick our elections and our champions in the elections, our nominees of the parties. We must pick those people based on that battle. And this is where I think the argument is for so many conservatives, whether or not you like Trump, whether Trump is our first choice as the most moral-looking candidate or this, it's irrelevant. If Trump is the prime person who will come in and try to bring a sledgehammer to the system, to the administrative state, to the deep state that has so grown and, and, and incestuously just solidified themselves into the laurels of power in American government, then that's the man that we need to put back in office. Uh, Carrie Lake, that's the woman we need to put into the Senate. That's the kind of people that we need to be supporting, and that's why, because this is our primary fight. So here's what I want you to take away, and, and maybe we could make this a, a window, the what you need to do. What we need to do this year, we already know that they're willing to cheat and tinker and interfere, whether it's late night stuff with ballots uh, suddenly stopping counting or this or that or the other, or whether it's the plain and simple interference of Democrats hopping over in an open primary or the interference of trying to take Trump off of the ballot for crimes that he hasn't even been convicted of, let alone tried for, uh, let alone if they actually even fit with the Constitution, all the arguments. And yet we're trying to remove him from the ballot. All of these things, all of these interferences, we know that they're coming and even in even greater numbers than we've seen. Here's the way we beat it. We must get out every single vote on the right side of the spectrum, on the middle of the spectrum, in the moderates, even in the liberals who see that this is a bad system. Even if they want different things than we do in this country, surely none of us want an all controlling, all powerful government that silences anyone the moment they become useless to the regime. We must get every single one of those voters to the polls to overwhelmingly vote for the pro America, pro Liberty, pro Freedom candidates, freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, the basics. Not just freedom to be conservative or freedom to this or that or the other or agree. The basics are under attack. And if we get every single person to the polls to vote for the Donald Trumps and the Kerry Lakes this year, we can quite possibly and I hope God willing surmount a huge, uh, a huge margin of victory. That is unimpeachable, even with interference, with fraud, with tinkering, with, with all of the problems that we saw come from 2020 forward to now, whether it's inside the elections or outside of them, we must have an unimpeachable, overwhelming majority, or they will take it away. They will find a way. We must get everyone. We cannot have people sitting out this election. It is a get out the vote like we've never had before. That's how we win. And I think we can win. So that's what I want to say. That's the, what you need to do. Everyone has to get out, and you and I can do that. Get everyone there. We cannot have people sitting this out if they are on the right side or the freedom side of the spectrum. So that's what I have to say. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being with us on another great edition of the Pro-America Report. I hope you come back here tomorrow. And in the meantime, head to ProAmericaReport.com. Head to phyllischlafly.com. Pick up the podcast, the standalones, and all the articles. And we will see you back here tomorrow on the Pro-America Report.